0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, we've been doing Hearts of Blaze, and the passage that I'm going to be looking at this morning is Acts chapter 8. It's a rather long passage. I'll be reading the first eight verses, and then we'll go across to verse 26. And the bit that we're leaving out uh, today will be, somebody next week will be sharing that particular situation. So bear with me as I read it. But at the same time, there's, who knows that there is actually blessing when you hear the word of God read, yeah? It's a great blessing. Um, in my own personal devotional Life this year, I'm devoting quite a bit of my time to listening to somebody read the scriptures to me. You can do all that with the, all the apps that are out there, U-Version, Bible Gateway, there's so many of them. But it, it's just a different experience. So many, you've read it over and over, but to actually sit in the place or in the space, if you like, and hear people read the word, there's something happens. And uh, I, I'm amazed this year at the number of times I've, I've never seen that in that way or I've never heard it like that before. So it's, a, it's good I commend it to you. So remember that the early church didn't have Bibles like we've got. If you, if you were going to read your Bible you had to go to the synagogue and they'd take it out of the specially kept cupboards in big scrolls and had to be read by somebody. So that's why the, the rabbis taught people to memorise the word. But you just didn't have it where we have so much in our fingertips which is an incredible blessing yeah, incredible blessing all that said let's read so verse 1 of chapter 8 says and Saul was there giving approval to his death that's the death of Stephen on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, godly Uh, men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off men and women and put them in prison those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did They all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And now if we go down a bit to verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch on an important and important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace queen of the Ethiopians this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet the spirit told Philip go to that chariot and say to and stay near it Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? he said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the uh, slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth in his humiliation he was deprived of justice who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth the eunuch asked philip tell me please who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else then philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about jesus as they traveled along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said look Here is water, why why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. I've lived many an hour, uh, days of my life actually, when I tally it all up, sitting in a room somewhere with various groups of people talking. That's part of my job, or was part of my job. Talking about, in these occasions, about church, discussion about developing a mission uh, statement, of a mission, then uh, a vision statement, and then strategizing and discussing tactics and goals, and how are we going to get the job done? It's all good. How we are How are we going to get into the community? Have you thought about that at Laborthor, by the way? How are we going to break into this community? Just hope they come. Probably take a bit more than that, yeah? However, that said, that was what we were about. How do we see the church grow and explode? This is all great stuff. How are we going to see the church take off? How are we going to win people to Jesus? How are we going to take back ground from the enemy? And I've spent, in my lifetime, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of hours talking with people about that. Now, let me tell you, I'm firmly committed to planning, absolutely. I wish when I first started pastoring that I knew more about it. It was one of the things they didn't teach us. I wish I knew more about vision, mission, vision, strategy, how you go about this whole thing. And I wish I knew more about how you do good governance in church, yeah? I really did. But we didn't get taught that stuff and I had to learn it, had to be taught it by others. And that's all good. So I want to tell you up front that I'm absolutely firmly committed to planning and to churches knowing what their, vision, their mission is and uh, knowing what their vision is and how you go about what God, you believe God wants you to do. All this is under God, absolutely, yeah? And not only that, to get on with the job and avoid the forever talk fest, which frankly are just Talk. I want to tell you, folks, that I've heard in that context all manner of ideas about uh, what we could do, good ideas, most of them fantastic ideas. Um, I had had one of my elders in one church, great guy who's now actually pastoring, and he used to say to our leadership group, there's no such thing as a bad idea. And that really stuck with me. There's no such thing as a bad idea. Not all ideas get up at the time but we want to encourage people to say yeah this is what god does. so it's all good and i i used to encourage that a lot but most of the ideas were worthy yes helpful yes but mostly pretty safe nothing too much over the top nothing too radical you know there's nothing too radical about a soup kitchen <laughs> or whatever but i never once heard anyone suggest or advocate in any way at all that what the church needs to get moving is a really good dose of persecution. Never heard anybody come up with that. Not once. And I can only imagine what would have happened around those tables where we sat doing this sort of thing. The looks that would have been on people's faces if if Bill Bloggs had said, you know what? We need to plan for a persecution. That would not have gone down particularly well at all. Are you with me? Yep. Yep. On the other hand, I've had discussion time from time to time with individuals who have said to me, you know, the church needs, needs some persecution. We need some adversity. We need some pressure. And I'm sort of saying, serious? Oh, yeah. But I get the feeling that persecution is a good idea for the church as long as it is happening somewhere else or to somebody else yeah who wants to go through adversity i mean i haven't been totally fit this week and i've fortunately for heather i'm getting better every day so i'm absolute grump if things are no good yeah anybody with me come on persecution But the church gets moving in Jerusalem. And here in the story that I've read to you, the narrative, which is what it is, the record that Luke, the historian doctor, gives us about how the church expanded and grew, here's, here are some of the facts. Persecution for believing in Jesus was directed at the church and at individuals, women and men. There was no distinction. And people scattered, and the scattering of individuals who were feeling the pain of being persecuted for loving Christ caused them to scatter, and they brought an amazing release of evangelism, which I'll get to in a moment. And as a result, many, many women and many, many uh, uh, men, and obviously children as well, became followers of Jesus. And we're going to dive in and see what prompted that and how it worked out in a city with crowds of people. And then we're going to look at how it worked out with just one person. Just one person. And I have a feeling this morning that God is speaking to just one person. Yeah? Because God is the God of the crowds, but he's also the God of the individuals. So let's dive in. The very first Christian martyr was a guy called Stephen, uh, my brother John Duckley. He's not my... Well, he is my brother. He's a brother in Jesus. But anyway, that good man led us through that whole thing of Stephen's martyrdom. Yeah, if you were here, you might remember that and bring it to recall. If you weren't, just read Acts, the previous couple of chapters. Stephen was the very first man to lose his life for believing that Jesus was a Jesus who died. And history tells us over and over again through the millennia that millions and millions and millions of people have lost their lives because they dared to believe that Jesus is alive, that he's the Christ, that he died, he was buried and he rose again and he did that to put away our sin and offer individuals the opportunity of eternal life, yeah? And Stephen was the first one to say there is only one way to God. Now, if you're going to get some persecution in your life, stand up and say there is only one way home to God. There are not multiple ways home. We're not saying it because we're nasty people. We're not saying it because we're always right. We're saying it because it's the truth. And when you stand for the truth, you'll, actually, you'll cause all kinds of reactions to come from people. Because our world is a very everything's in world, and we are saying, no, there's only one way to know God. He is love. <laughs> he sent Jesus for us. He's given us eternal. life. Yes, he's the only one, one to the Father. And that caused Stephen's death. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, wrote something in 197 A.D. By the way, it is AD, BC, yeah, not the Common Era. That's just a personal beef. If you know about the Common Era, well, we've got rid of that language now because we don't call, talk about BC and AD after Christ or before Christ. We just say Common Era. The Common Era from when Jesus came. It's very subtle, see? And Tertullian wrote in 197 something along these lines The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And it is. And Stephen's martyrdom, his death became the catalyst for a man called Saul to release the most horrible persecution against this emerging Christian faith in the emerging church now you've got to understand they're like a group of people it's not like we it's not like Christendom back there in Jerusalem this is just a group of people who have heard God speak to them and they're beginning to say this is the way the truth and the life they're actually at one point called the people of the way because they said Jesus is the only way yeah you with me So that means that that, that in many ways they could be struggling and yet they are emerging and there are thousands beginning to say, yeah, we're going to follow Jesus. It's interesting as Arjith Fanata, a commentator on Acts, and I've actually heard him speak in a big conference, this guy, he points out that Luke the historian is actually upfront about the details of Saul's life now Saul later becomes Paul and they're close companions but but Luke is prepared to put it out there and say this is what Saul was really like and I'm here to tell you that Saul before he bowed his knees to Jesus was a nasty party he was horrible and the bible tells us here in these first few verses that he was dragging women and men out of their houses and he was throwing them into prison. You can just imagine in the middle of the night, however you can picture for yourselves, a first century home with doors or whatever, people just barging in and grabbing you and hauling you off into the night and throwing you into prison because you believe in Jesus no trial, no nothing, just you are, we're going to stamp this out, and if you die in prison, too bad, and if my guards rough you up, that's too bad. Saul was not a particularly nice person. Why? Because the Christians, and actually they're not called Christian until we get that term way over in Acts 11, Christ in, that's what Christian means, Christ in, They're actually followers of Jesus at this point. And these early Messiahites, if you like, these early followers, they're saying Jesus was Lord and Saviour. That was why Saul was so determined to stamp them out. And more than that, and by implication, the apostles teaching those, Peter, John, and the rest of them, were, were teaching about the Jesus of resurrection. So we're the resurrection people, yeah? What was last Sunday? Have you forgotten already? So you're taking a week of fasting to get rid of all that chocolate excess. Yeah, that's what happened. No, it's with, we're Jesus people, yeah? We're resurrection people every day of our lives. And by implication, as the apostles preach the resurrection, they're saying to the religious leaders of the day, you've got it wrong. You haven't read the scriptures properly. You haven't seen Messiah in the scriptures from beginning to now you just don't get it but hey it's good news it's not all bad news we're not here to condemn we want to tell you that Jesus is actually in the scripture yeah but for that Saul who's an incredibly well-trained man and an absolutely brilliant person probably multi-degree you know multi-doctorates in our day and era probably he's saying no you've got it wrong and what's more, you are so dangerous to us and to our Jewish faith that we have got to kill you and stamp you out. Can you get it? Am I painting a kind of enough picture here for you to kind of understand? I mean, we, we are so far removed from this, yeah? Hallelujah! <laughs> yeah? I mean, it's all right to think in your head, oh, yeah, what if the guards come charging through the doors now and said, up, out, everybody, you know, you're off because you're Christians. In the last century, more people lost their lives for believing in Jesus in terms of martyrdom in the whole history of the Christian church. Quite amazing. So this teaching that Jesus is Lord and Saviour and forgiveness of sins is only found through him. This was not the way of the Jewish faith. Theirs was the way of law, of approaching and worshipping God by works. And these Jesus followers were teaching that it's by grace alone. And you can go back to Acts 2 and Peter's great Pentecost sermon. So the battles were drawn between law and grace. Yeah? The battles between how God really loves people and how people still to this day think that if they lead good lives, they will get into heaven. It is such a lie. Yes, there's nothing wrong with leading a good life. We want people to lead good lives. Of course we do. But there comes a point, my friends, in your life, when you realise that you just can't get there on your own yeah, you need somebody to do it for you and if you're somebody here this morning just exploring the Christian faith and struggling your way through what it means to rest in the grace of God can I say to you rest in the grace of God he's the one who's done it already for you yeah yeah yep And so what happened? Persecution. Now we've said this word persecution quite some times already in this sermon and it actually means hunting down, chasing down. A, it's a brutal word actually. So, the, It's kind of like, it's not like, oh yes somebody somebody, you know, writes me a nasty note about, the, oh you're a Christian or you might get somebody at work sling off at you. I, I don't think that happens quite as much as it used to happen. I think there are some good sides to tolerance and all that but it still happens yeah but you can you can put up with that yeah but it's a bit different if somebody comes chasing you with an ak-47 yeah that's a very different story and i won't go over there anymore all right so you can you can just imagine so they're being hunted down literally hunted down and saul instigates it so how does the church respond say wisely How did it respond? Wisely. Wisely. All but the apostles and those taking care of the funeral arrangements for Stephen, with some deep mourning going on there, they scattered. And the word for, for it is they scattered like seed. You know how you see these pictures of the old farmer with his, or the young farmer throwing the seed out on the ground? Well, it was just kind of like a ski scatters. I was nearly going to go somewhere bad then. Anyway, that doesn't matter. The seed scatters like out of a seed pod. and just, they went. Yes, how incredibly good is that? They didn't hang around. Well, why? why would you? I wouldn't be hanging around. Come on, you're not going to be a hero, stand around and get persecuted. Is God going to use that? Well, he might in Stephen's case, but let God be God. And he's got a life for you. He's got a plan for you, a purpose for you. Live it out, yeah? And so Saul and the rest of those, uh, uh, they, they were persecuting as hard as they could, these new Christ followers, but the rest of them fled. But what Saul didn't count on was when they fled, they began to talk. They began to talk. The tongue of the church got loosened. And as they fled, they spoke. And the persecution then released a flood of language about Jesus. They became the best gossips going around. So if you like, this persecution resulted in an amazing breakout, a burst out, if you like, of evangelism. Now evangelism is simply telling the good news. That's what that word means. It comes from two words, you and angelos. they so put them together. You means good. Angelos means messenger, angel, good message. So when you're an evangelist, yes, we have pictures in our minds of, of men like Billy Graham and great women evangelists, many of them I could name for the sake of time, whatever. Lots of people have a gift of evangelism they're very gifted speakers I can stand up in front of groups you've probably got it Lee standing in front of the prisoners just just sharing your faith yeah but that's 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 evangelism but we're not all an evangelist but we're all witnesses for Jesus and if you go back to Acts 1 8 Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Actually, here's an interesting thing. The word he uses there is the word for martyr. How about that? You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to Lobethal. Oh. Never read that in Acts eight before, did you? To the ends of the earth. I just love what the Bible tells us here that happened with those Christians who scattered. They found their voice. Now, we don't know whether their voice was quiet before. We do know the apostles preached and taught, yes. But now it's the church, the whole church, that's got a voice. And as they scatter, they just talk about Jesus. Somewhere, somewhere, way back somewhere, I heard somebody say that they gossiped the gospel. Actually, what they did was they preached the word, if you read it carefully. Do you hear that? I want to tell you something. A church with a loosened tongue is an awesome church and is something to be reckoned with. If Lobethal, Hills Baptist Lobethal finds its voice and finds its tongue, there's no voice in the whole world that will compare with that because it's the tongue, it's the voice about Jesus and who Jesus actually is. And Saul was to find out, as all down through the ages have found, that you cannot stamp out the message of Christianity. You are up against God and he will always win. Yeah. How many of you know that? Everybody in this room knows that. So yes. You know that you can't stamp out stuff. You can't, you're up against God. Communism tried and failed and it still tries and it still fails. Socialism, atheistic regimes. Atheism means simply without God, without without God right you with me all have tried all the isms all failures and all will be ultimate failures why because truth will prevail and that is what our our early sisters and brothers whom I'm looking forward to meet are going to have all eternity to mix with these men and women and kids and say hey what was it like for you back there when old Saul was for you breathing fire yeah I've got to stay away from that side so I'm going to do something over there And and you kind of say to yourself, what's it going to be like to shake hands with those people? Yeah, to be hugged by these early Christ followers with their big old gowns in first century garb. Hey, come on. (laughs) What's that going to be like? They went about gossiping Jesus. They couldn't stop. Now Luke introduces us to a man called Philip. He's one of the seven we read about in Acts 6. We call him a deacon, but he's not really that in the text. He's is a servant, but deacon doesn't appear in the text in Acts 6. He's just a man who waits on table. I love Philip. You know, he's one of the seven. Do you know what one of the seven had to do back there in Acts 6? They had to sort out a dispute between women in the church. Whoa, wasn't that interesting? Oh, you delegated all that when I was pastoring. It was... This is not a put down against women, of course. It was just that some felt that they weren't getting enough food at the daily table and distribution of food. And so they appointed people to sort it out. Well done, church, yeah? But Philip was one of those and he was a, he was a really good man. But he's an, he's an evangelist, so don't miss this. So he goes and preaches to a city in Samaria, a Samaritan city. And the Samaritans are, are really you know, I excuse my language but understand it in the context in which I release it to you. They, 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 they're considered by the Jews to be half castes The mongrels, they were hated. The Jews hated the Samaritans. But that doesn't concern Philip. All people need Jesus and he preaches to the city. And well, I mean the preaching. Actually what he does, he goes down and he heralds Christ. He proclaims Christ. I could make much of this, but this is evangelism on a mass scale. It is to crowds, and the crowds heard him paying close attention, which is every preacher's dream, yeah? So Philip, we would say, oh yeah, he's just a church leader. But hey, who are we to judge? Here's a man full of the Spirit who says, Jesus is Lord. And he goes down to Samaria, and the most amazing things happen... um, you know, there's, there's just this, this, this breakout of, of, um, of power. Uh, there's amazing deliverances. There's healing. There's paralytics. Cripples being healed. I was intrigued. Paralytics, cripples paralytics are people who are paralyzed cripples are people who can't walk they are in the most desperate situation in their culture nobody cared about them most of them were pointing fingers and saying the reason you're a paralytic or a cripple is that you are an awful sinner or if it wasn't you it was your dad and mum or if we could go back a bit further your grandfather was just a rotter yeah they had nobody cared for them nobody loved them they might have had one or two friends who took pity and took them out and placed them, as we saw in Acts 3, the straight, you know, the, the gate beautiful, and they, they held out their hands hoping somebody would give them some money. It's unthinkable. In a world where, where, where most of our governments do care in some way or another, yeah, we can always do better, don't get me wrong, but this is an incredible thing. These people are healed and they're set free. And why? Because the gospel, wherever it takes root, wherever it's fully proclaimed, there's true repentance and people come to actually know that their sins have been forgiven. And there is in that city what, folks? Did you read it in the text? Did you hear it? What happens in that city when Peter, when Philip rather goes preaching? J O Y. Joy. These guys are cranked up. There's absolutely no excuse for a church to look like it's been baptised in lemon juice. So now we switch and we've gone from the crowds and we go to Philip and the eunuch. And it's part of the Acts 18 fulfilment that the gospel is preached first in Jerusalem and then to the ends of the earth. Scattering was taking place, Judea, Samaria and the last place on earth and, and Philip's there. It's a huge revival. I can tell you something, I would have wanted to stay there. I think this is quite amazing. In our modern world, people have hopped on planes and flown from one side of the globe to the other just to be part of a revival meeting in certain places. Even in the recent Asbury thing, people were flying all over the world just to spend a few moments with thousands of other people basking in the presence of God as God was doing amazing things, yeah? I would have wanted to stay there. But Philip, he is God speaking to him. Actually, an angel of the Lord, get ready for this. Again, there are just angels and miracles and deliverances and all sorts of stuff going on. Acts was sort of kind of, oh, yeah, whatever. An angel of the Lord, a messenger from God, comes to Philip and says, I want you to go to the desert. Can you imagine that? You're going from something that's really productive out into the desert out into the desert. What's in the desert? Snakes and lizards and not much else. It's amazing. And Philip goes at the bidding of the Holy Spirit. And as he's going, he sees this road going from down to Gaza. And there's a chariot on the road. So we could say, in our day and age, this is like a stretch limo going down that road, folks. This is really, you know, I see this big pink one driving around the local areas from time to time, I don't know who owns that thing, but this is really something, this guy's got a lot of money in this chariot, yeah, and he's going down the road, and he's more than a money counter, he's called the Ethiopian eunuch, he's a treasury official, he's a kind of Jim Chambers, Chambers rather, of Ethiopia, he's a bit more than a money counter, he's over the commercial world, but his job is to make sure that his boss, the Queen's money is what? Safe. And he's been up to Jerusalem and he's been on a journey and it's interesting that he should be in Jerusalem. Why was he there? Well, you go back to Acts, the early chapters of Acts. He's there with all these other, other people wanting to worship Yahweh in the temple. So there's a, there's a God thing going on in his life but he's not quite there yet. And on the return journey, He's going along and he's reading the Bible. So somehow he's got hold of some of these manuscripts. He's been, and I don't know what, what was going on. He's, he's hungry. Maybe there's something of the buzz of Jerusalem that got him thinking. But the Bible tells us that he's reading a passage from the Old Testament found in Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 52. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter of sheep. Before his shoes, is silent, so he did not open his mouth, and so on. And Philip hears him reading this. Now, it's amazing. Philip hears the, hears the angel, and then the Spirit of God. Can you see the amazing stuff happening in this chapter? And he runs up to the chariot. He just doesn't walk up. He runs up, and he hears this man reading out loud. Now, You might think that's a bit strange. I do, anyway, because we usually read in our heads, yes, but their their practice was to read out loud. Actually, again, in your personal devotions from time to time, read parts of the scripture out loud to yourself. It will do amazing things in your personal spiritual life. But this guy is reading from Isaiah, and Philip hears him reading, and he questions him. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you get it, in other words? Then there's a question from back to the, from the eunuch. He says, well, you tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And right there and right then, as he says, who's he talking about? Philip launches in and he explains who Isaiah is writing about. The passage, folks, is all about Jesus, yes? I just find that so amazing. Of all the passages this man could have been reading in the scripture, he lobs on Isaiah 52, 53, which is one of the core passages about the Jesus who is to come. And he's saying, who is this about? And Philip right there begins to explain Jesus. I wonder what he said to him. I think he would have said, you know what? The prophet's not talking about himself, he's talking about the guy that was just Crucified and was buried and rose again. The, he's the one that all the noise in Jerusalem is about, yeah? And I, I reckon he would have said, he took our infirmities, he took our sins, the Lord put all this on him. I think he would have gone through and explained the cross. He would have said, we're all sinners, we all deserve punishment, but Jesus takes all this and uh, uh, he's, he's been pierced for our transgressions. I, were, I think he would have got hold of that uh, Isaiah 52, 53 passage And he would have made it come alive for this one single person. And no doubt that Philip explained all that. And that's how Jesus invites all sinners to come home, to repent, to believe, and to follow Jesus. Yeah? The content and the context here is amazing. It's the scriptures, a passage about Jesus, and a teacher. Did you hear that? It's the scriptures, it's the context of a passage about Jesus and a teacher. Dr. Peter Adams, former principal of Ridley College, Anglican College in Melbourne, said something along these lines The normal means of God's revelation is the Bible and a teacher. Now, listen to this, folks. This is really, really important. That teacher can be you in evangelism. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to know every word in the Bible, but if you get the core message that it's about Jesus, his, his life, his, his, bur- his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his invitation to sinners to come to know him, and you explain that to people, that's all you need to do. And people get it. The teacher can be you. Now, the next bit's rather amazing, and Simon's referred to it all. They're like, travelling down this road on the way down there to Gaza, and the, the, it's actually the eunuch who says, look, there's water, should I be baptised? Do you ever strike you that that's kind of ironic? Where were they, by the way? In a desert. How, how, many, how many places where there's enough water to be baptised in the desert? If All right, if you're a Presbyterian or something, but... No, 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 I'm not slagging them. They're all good. I've got good mates in the the Presbyterian church. I'm just simply saying, you know, it's amazing because the Bible tells us they come up out of the water. There's water in a desert place for you if you want to get baptised. It's not the issue of how much water, it's the issue of your heart saying, there's something happening here. And the 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 eunuch says to to Philip, well, what stops me from getting baptised is nothing. So often I've seen in pastoral ministry people say, oh, I can't get baptised, I'm not good enough. I said, what? You're not good enough. You never, were. you never were. Good call. You never were. And why did you just get saved? Because you weren't good enough to be saved. Yeah? But God, in his mercy, reached down and he plucked you out of the horrible situation he's, you were in and he gave you a new life, yeah? What's to stop anybody being baptised? Baptism is just a sign that something fantastic's happened in your being. And right there, that Ethiopian eunuch, for reasons we'll talk about briefly as we close out in a moment, knew that his whole life had been transformed. And so old Philip gave him a good sloshing he gave him a good dunking. Did you know Baptists were once called dunkers? <laughs> because we just were, were very strong on this. We, wanted, we want all the water. We just don't want a little bit, right? We are dunkers. And I just love the next part of this story because Philip is snatched away and he ends up in his otis. Who snatched him away? The Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness me. Now, let's talk about God for a moment or two. God is all over these events in Philip's life and the Ethiopian's life. First, it's God who gets Philip's attention. Did you see that? So here's the thing, folks. If you're listening out for God, he might speak to you. Oh, actually, he does all the time, yeah? But he might say, would you do such and such? And you say, yeah, I'll do that. It's God who initiates it. And Philip obeys. That's an amazing thing. And, and, and God's all over everything I mean Philip courtesy of Holy Spirit Airlines gets taken from baptising to Azotus, amazing stuff second, God is all over the eunuch preparing this man's heart getting him ready for the divine encounter listen, you don't have to worry about the hearts of people whom you're trying to reach God is all over them and don't get the idea that nothing's going on in people's lives and let me tell you something, if somebody you're trying to win to Jesus gets really snotty shouldn't use that word just gone through a week of flu or whatever Uh, but if somebody gets really aggro just rejoice God's getting at them I love it when people get stirred up when you're trying to reach them for Jesus because God's doing something yeah on the other hand they can go all silent but just believe that the Holy Spirit's always already working And then there's Jerusalem and there's the angel and there's the spirit of God. God is in every conversion. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in every conversion. And can I reflect with you just for a moment that God will go to extraordinary lengths to just bring one person home to himself. And on the other hand, God's for the city and for the crowds and for people and for Ethiopians now let's just talk about him for a second. He's probably a black man. He's also a eunuch, which, and he, or he may have been a court official. doesn't matter. But most likely, he would have been castrated. And as such, he would have been barred from any Jewish worshipping community now here's the thing I want you to hear look at what God is doing Matthew 28, 16, 20 is coming true, the gospel isn't just for coloured people or white people or red people or black people or for democrats or liberals or labour rights or for any race so called of people, actually there's only one race the human race according to Votie Borkman there are ethnics, there are groups yeah, the gospel is for all people, we need to hear that In the current clime of our nation, we need to hear that. God is on about people. And here is God directing Philip to one single man who would have been considered an absolute outcast to all that's going on and say, you know what, mister, I, I, I just wish I knew his name. Yeah, I love you. And my son hung on a tree so that all your humanity can be restored, man. It brings tears to your eyes. The rich, the poor, the low, the mighty, we have an example in the Ethiopian for all. So let me wrap it up. How's obedience with you all? Hmm? It's a toughie, isn't it, to talk about obedience? I mean, it just comes through so harsh. Oh, we've got to obey God or look out. Get real. You know, the greatest joy, for those of us who have been parents and for those of you looking on, or having anything to do with kids, is when kids just do things because they're absolutely besotted by you. Yeah. And isn't that true? For us, when we do something God wants us to do, We kind of, we don't need anything else, do we? It's just the joy of it. Yeah, sure. Any amens? Some churches, I'd be pumping it up the back there by now. Preach it, brother, come on. Sing it out, Tim, come on. Preach it, man. Yeah, that's the man. Go for it, Charlie. I like that. Say it again, man. Oh, preach it, Johnny. Isn't it just something beautiful when we just do something? And you know that doesn't matter. Isn't it really good too when anybody ever done anything they're ashamed of, even since you've been a Christian? You all lost your arms and good. Of course, you know, but do you hear the Father condemning and. No, no, no. I, I just don't get harsh preachers that just want to rail. But on the other side of it, being obedient to God is so freeing. You know, Lee, these guys you work with in the prison, you know what? One of the things that's most freeing for them is when they find out what true obedience really is. Their lives get freed. We're freest when we're in relationship with God who liberates us from our law keeping. And we find ourselves in the presence of his grace. And Philip's just, had not Philip listened, well, of course, we don't have any of these stories. But we just need to listen to the promptings. I remember years ago when I was working for my in-laws, I was earth moving, and in my prayers in the morning, I said, Lord, whoever you put across my tracks this morning or today, I'll talk to them about you. Little was I to realise as I was driving my bulldozer later in the day, concentrating on my job next thing literally there's this guy jumping up on my bulldozer on my tracks lucky i didn't kill a man anyway he got an assault of the gospel because he was literally across my tracks that's what i prayed dummy god will do it if you're open so let's wrap it up when we began this, the persecution looks a bit grim, doesn't it? Things are under the pump. They've got their backs to the wall. Uh, but God, see, God is never surprised with anything. Can you say that? God's not surprised. Come on. God's not surprised by anything. And, and you know, would if you sat round that table of men and women saying, you know what, we need the church to be persecuted, then all the tongues of the people will get loosened, and this is how we'll strategize for that to happen? Never in a thousand years. Never in a million years. We wouldn't go there, would we? But God... Oversaw everything. He knew about the persecution. He knew that one of his sons would be killed. He knew the stones would fall on Stephen. He knew that Saul would be there consenting. He knew that he was laying in the heart of Saul, the most revolutionary change that could ever happen to a human being. He knew that Saul, later becomes Paul, would have to deal with his sin. And he knew that Paul would never stop preaching the gospel, yeah? And he also knew that that as those men and those women and those kids scattered and fled, they'd go da and everybody would hear about Jesus. Oh, the joy of it. Oh, the thrill of it. And what about that Ethiopian guy? Christianity is the only faith of joy, by the way. It's the only faith of joy. And when he gets saved and he's baptised, he gets out of that water, and he doesn't even know Philip's disappeared. He's just so full of joy as he's carried off down back home to Ethiopia. So come on now, let's sign up for the day. And because I've only got a rough guide of how long i preach, God bless, eh? It's all good. Let's stand as Lee comes and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We have opportunity every day of our lives just to be in the place with you, to let you do what you want to do for your purposes and your plan. And we just love you, Lord. We love what you do. We love what you do. And we know that you use each one of us. We bumble our way through sometimes and sometimes we wonder, but God, you use us because that's your plan and that's your purpose. So thank you for our early brothers and sisters who just went about with loosened tongues to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We ask your blessing in the same way. For loosened tongues, in your name, amen.